since learning the truth about alcohol over four years ago, I've become pretty skeptical about anything that seems too good to be true. You know, like alcohol. If you're like me and you can spot a too good to be true health hack from a mile away, congrats, you're a skeptic too. Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds our standards. I take Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus every morning because it has high quality and traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. It's gentle on an empty stomach and has a minty essence in every bottle that helps make taking my multis actually enjoyable. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com forward slash sober mom. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash sober mom for 25% off. All right, you guys, I am currently struggling with a pinched nerve in my neck. And if you have ever had one, you know the pain. So I am feeling super thankful for today's sponsor, Tanasi. Tanasi's CBD, CBDA is two times better than CBD alone and better than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. It helps soothe and relieve my aches and pains, like my pinched nerve, and it's great for sleep and anxiety, so I put it on right before bed. Tanasi was discovered by a team of chemists and biologists at Middle Tennessee State University, and 5% of all revenue is given back to the university partner for ongoing research. It is THC-free and comes in a range of products. I love the topicals, but you can also choose from soft gels, gummies, and tinctures. Satisfaction is guaranteed. Try Tanasi for 30 days, and if you don't love it, you get a full refund. Go to Tanasi.com and use code MOM to get 25% off at checkout. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with promo code MOM. Hi, welcome to the Sober Mom Life podcast. I'm your host, Suzanne of My Kind of Sweet and the Sober Mom Life on Instagram. If you are a mama who has questioned your relationship with alcohol at times, if you're wondering if maybe it's making motherhood harder, this is for you. I will be having candid, honest, funny conversations with other moms who have also thought, hmm, maybe motherhood is better without alcohol. Is it possible? We'll chat and we'll talk about all things sobriety and how we've found freedom in sobriety. I don't consider myself an alcoholic. You don't have to either. And maybe life is brighter without alcohol. I hope you will join us on this journey and I'm so excited to get started. Hello and welcome to this special bonus episode of the Sober Mom Life Podcast. These are the real sober mom chats. It's kind of like the Real Housewives, but without the booze, which means it's less dramatic and it's more fun because let's be honest, those ladies are not having fun. But these ladies are, and I am so excited. I brought these chats back because you guys loved them. You love these relatable stories. They're stories of moms just like you who are either newly sober or just still working things out and sober curious, or sometimes they have some years under their belt and they come and tell us all that they've learned and share their experience. 
You love these chats. I do too. If you want to share your story, I would love to hear from you. You do that over at the Sober Mom Life Cafe. That, in case you missed the announcement, is replacing our Patreon. It's much easier to understand. So it's just the Sober Mom Life Cafe. It will be linked in the show notes. You can get there through mykindofsweet.com. And it's $10 a month. You get bonus podcast episodes. You get weekly Zoom meetings. You get our monthly book club. You get access to our exclusive Discord chat with moms just like you. And you get to sign up to share your story on the podcast. So come on over there. It's linked in the show notes. It's the Sober Mom Life Cafe. And um, it's the only cafe without coffee. So bring your own coffee, but come for the connection and the community. And we would love to have you. Okay, guys, enjoy the episode. Shelby, welcome to the Sober Mom Life and the Real Sober Mom Chats. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. So I'm excited to hear your story and where you're at with sobriety now. But let's start first. Let's go back. Let's talk about alcohol. We always have to start with alcohol. So what is your alcohol story before we get to sobriety? Okay. Yeah. So my alcohol story, I started drinking when I was 16. My best friend in high school had introduced me to it, much like probably a lot of other people. <laughs> and then it wasn't like super consistent in high school, but I did start working in the restaurant industry while I was still in high school. And I know you've talked about how you did as well. So you know, totally, <laughs> that is like such a big drinking culture. Yes, it's drenched. I mean, it's it's kind Ugh. of like you you stay, if you don't drink while you're working, which sometimes you do that too. But even if you don't, then it's always you're going to stay after, right? Yeah, absolutely. It was like, you know, and I was only 17 at the time. So I was just... I had some older cousins that were working um, as the bartenders in the restaurant that I was like hostessing at. And so we, it was just the norm that, you know, we work and even sometimes we like would work doubles, work all day, make money. And then it was so normal for just everybody to go below all that money that we had made at the bar, get hammered and then go home, sleep it off and do it again the next day. <laughs> yes. Yes. That cycle. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like we had some good times and I did make like some lifelong friends during that period that I'm so thankful for. But, but now as you know, a 38 year old adult, I look back and just cringe because I'm like, oh my gosh, I put myself in so many super unsafe situations. Yeah. Oh my God. I know when, when you sit down and think about, I think that that's really hard. And that's part of the hard thing about stopping drinking and getting sober is like, with a clear mind, you're thinking about, holy shit, like when you really start looking at the past and what you've been through. I, I'm always like, okay, how did I not die? How did I not get, yeah, I, just by the grace of God, because very lucky. Yeah, totally, totally. So many of those situations that I'm just so embarrassed about now. And like, you know, as a mother now too, I just think, oh my God, like if my daughter were to ever like do something like that or like put herself in such an unsafe situation, I would just die. So yeah, I'm thankful to have made it out, uh, you know, without too, <laughs> without too much trouble, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I would say that like, I think I really thought that as life progressed and like marriage came and kids came and, you know, these, I graduated college, like I hit all these milestones. I kind of really just thought that drinking would fall away. I just thought 
naturally, oh, well, that's just what happens. Like, you know, you, this is kind of my party phase. And then, you know, as these big life events occur, I figured it would just kind of dwindle out. And, you know, it did at times, like, you know, there was times where I would drink less and times I would drink more, but I would say like when having kids and like when my daughter was born, that was probably like the first point when I really started to question my relationship with alcohol and thinking about, you know, her and yeah, because I really struggled with when I found out that I was having a girl, I just bawled for two days, which I feel so ridiculous about now. But I just thought about like all the mistakes I had made and all the heartaches I had and and that now I was going to have to watch her live through that. Oh my God, this is so incredible that you're saying this because I mean, I, I my first was a girl and I remember being excited and oh yay, that's great. And then when they placed her on my chest, I thought, oh shit, I have to get her through sixth grade. And like, I, I fast forward through all of these things that I struggled through. And I was like, how am I going to do this again? Like for her and how am I going to watch her go through all this? Yeah. So the weight of expectations was like crushing. Totally, totally. And in addition to like her being born, I also, I am an adoptee and I was always kind of okay with being adopted my in my life. Like it was just part of my story, but it was always lingering in the back of my mind, like my curiosity about my biological family. And then when I had my daughter, it was like just full force, the emotions and the curiosity came flooding because yes. I thought, I remember like being at the hospital and just thinking, I was like, you know, you're on cloud nine and it's just like the most amazing, precious time. And I just remember thinking like, how could somebody go through this and then leave without their baby? And it really just kind of like struck a chord in me that really got me starting to think like, this is probably something I need to address (laughs) within myself. Yeah. All of a sudden you weren't a daughter, you were a mom, right? And then, yeah, coming at it from that point of view is totally different. Yeah, totally different. And so yeah. So having kids obviously kind of shifted things. And I, I knew that like I needed to cut back or like kind of get rid of alcohol altogether, even back then. But it was one of those things that was just like in the back of my mind. I, again, still assumed like over time it would just kind of go away and I wouldn't, I didn't think I needed to really work at it. But then my son came and I also lost my grandfather kind of during that time, which he was the father figure in my life. So just kind of like couple of traumatic things right on top of each other. I had um, postpartum depression with my son. And I, I think it just like, and I didn't know it at the time. Um, I wasn't diagnosed, but it just like clicked something in me. And I felt like all of these things just that maybe that I had been burying for years really just started to surface. And I think that's really when like there was a shift in my drinking too, where like I noticed that I wasn't just drinking for fun or or drinking, you know, to celebrate. Not that that was always the case. I mean, I pretty much would have drinks for whatever the reason was, but I noticed that I was really trying to mute those really, really hard feelings that were coming up. And that felt like a shift for you. It did. It definitely did. Like, I was like, wait, this isn't fun anymore. Like, this isn't, I'm, I kind of just noticed. Yeah, I guess I just noticed that it kind of shifted. And, and I wondered then like, you know, is this a problem? And I kind of started like, you know, doing the Googling thing and, 
Yeah, I just, uh, I think it was my like feeling of like, I can't soothe him. I can't make him happy. He was like, he cried just all the time and just would not sleep. And it was such a different experience from my daughter. Yeah. I mean, that's so hard when we're, we're the expert on this baby. And then we're like, wait, but I don't know what to do. Like, there's no other expert that could tell me what to do, but I don't know what to do. And I feel like I'm failing and I feel like I'm doing something wrong. Like, that's really, not only is it hard to feel, like it's almost something that we can't utter, you know? Like, we don't dare say like, wait, I think I'm, I don't feel like how I'm supposed to feel. And I think I'm doing this the wrong way. Because we're just, as moms, we're taught that that's not something we can say. Yeah, you feel like you're failing and you can't talk about it. And like my mom had mentioned, you know, are are you feeling okay? Like, I think she had noticed I had lost a bunch of weight and I was just not sleeping. And I mean, I think of myself in that time as just like a zombie. Like I was in just zombie survival mode trying to keep this baby alive and also, like, it's funny thinking back to like when I mentioned it to the doctor because I was getting ready to go back to work because I just told her I was still wasn't sleeping because he wasn't sleeping and I just wasn't feeling like I was ready to go back to work yet. I was like, is there any way you could like give me a few more weeks, you know, with a doctor's note? And um, she, I remember her saying like, well, we don't want to call it like postpartum depression because then it goes on your record. What? Which, and I, I really have a lot of respect for my doctor. Like, I really like her, but that was like a moment where I thought, hmm. She failed you. Right. Like, I need, I think I need help, but I'm embarrassed to say it. And then now that I am kind of saying something, now it's like, well, don't say it. Don't put it on the record. Right. Like, that just further stigmatizes, like, oh, well, uh, we definitely don't, you don't want to be saddled with this, which, I mean, yeah, like, and anyone who listening to the, is listening to this and is struggling, like, it's so common, and it's one of those things that we don't talk about, like, we dare not speak, and it's like, you, in order to get help and in order to heal from that, you have to speak it out loud, and so if you have a doctor who is, like, resisting that, find a new doctor, even just for this time, you know what I mean, because there should, there's no shame in getting help. Yeah, no shame at all. And I I mean, I definitely felt shame. I think that's part of the stigma is like, I felt like if I said, I think I have postpartum depression, then I was saying like, I don't love my baby, which is so outrageous. I mean, obviously, that's not the case. But I mean, I guess that's even the way I thought it was. Well, that's even that's the struggle, right? That's the struggle that moms have to overcome is, is that's why we're terrified to say any of it out loud is to say any of these motherhood struggles out loud is because it's almost like we have to include this disclaimer. Like, wow, motherhood is really fucking hard. It's harder than I thought it would be. I'm struggling and I'm not happy, but I really love my baby and I'm grateful. And I, <laughs> I you know, like, no, 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 we, we know that. That yeah. is a given moms love their babies. Like, let's just all say, yep, that's a given. But let's talk about the mom. Let's talk about how you are feeling, not in relation to how much you love your baby. (laughs) Like, how are you feeling? That's a conversation that we need to have. Yeah, totally. So I think all of that, I just, I mean, my husband and I always drink together too. And that was, it was just kind of our like weekend ritual. And then like, sometimes it would bleed over into the week. And then the pandemic happened. (laughs) Mm Hmm. I had already been questioning my relationship. So it was very much in my mind, something I was thinking about. And I remember I had already noticed that I'm a teacher 
And so we get, you know, like the breaks, like summer break, spring break, all of these breaks. And I had already noticed in myself that like my drinking tended to ramp up with less responsibility. So on those different breaks, like I knew that that's kind of where it would lead. So when we got this notice of like, oh my gosh, schools are going to be closing for six weeks. I remember immediately going into my like, I have to get a routine. I have to get a routine. Like I knew that it could get out of control. And I remember like, okay, we're going to do a daily walk and then we're going to, you know, then we're going to do this. And I remember trying to like get ahead of it and like make a schedule for myself so that I still felt like I was working and we were, I was doing things with the kids. Can I ask you during this time and when you kind of knew inside that you didn't love your relationship with alcohol and there was this push and pull, like, did you tell anybody? Did you say it out loud? Uh, no. (laughs) Okay. 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 I mean, you're not alone in that. Like I always, always, always want to highlight this because we assume that people who have a quote unquote problem, which is not, that's not what we call it. Alcohol is a problem no matter, right? But that people who are questioning and who have this feeling, we assume that it's easy to see, they're easy to spot, that everyone's talking about it. But that's not the case. No. We are not talking about it. When we are questioning our relationship with alcohol, we're not going to say it. We're not going to talk. That's way too scary. That means AA, right? Like, we're not going to say that. Right. And I would say that, like, I did share some of my feelings at times with my husband. So I would be like, oh, like, we think, I think we had too much and but he never saw it as an issue like I did. And so it just was like, oh, we're fine. Like, yeah, we'll cut back this week kind of a thing. And when I was brave enough to sometimes like put feelers out there to see, like, like I said, I had like a, my cousin's husband had passed and it was from drinking. You know, he would just basically his liver, he had liver failure and I wasn't super close with him, but I just remember thinking to myself, like, I'm at the age where like, this is where it's leading if, if things don't change. Like people that I know are dying because they can't get a handle on this. And so I remember saying to my mom one day, like, oh, you know, I can't believe that this happened to my cousin and her husband. How sad is that? Like, I really feel like I need to take a break or stop drinking for a while. And I kind of was looking for her support or maybe like her acknowledgement that maybe, she, I don't know, like, did she know that I was felt like I was having too much? Yeah. And her response was just like, well, Shelby, it's not like you're, you know, a fall down drunk. Mm. And it just like, I'm like, okay, well, you know, yeah, people don't see like a messiness or like a disaster. And then so that the assumption is that, well, you're handling it just fine. But I wasn't like I was dying inside. <laughs> there, There's not like a chart, right? There's just not there's not a chart that we can refer to that's like, is my relationship with alcohol healthy? Or like, am I drinking too much? Like no one can answer that except for us. And the problem is that we're taught that there's nothing to see until you are a quote unquote fall down drunk, like until it's very clear very clearly a problem until it has stolen everything, until there's an intervention that needs to happen, it's not a problem. And and then we're caught in this, there's a, years of all of this self-doubt and just all of that like shame spiral inside of us. And we all think we're alone when the majority of us are going through that. Yeah. It, it's brutal. Like it it really, I mean, the letting myself down and, and the the convincing myself all day that I'm not going to drink and that, 
you know, I'm working out and I'm, I'm doing this with the kids and I'm, I'm on it. Like I'm on it hundred percent. And then I'm still caving at the end of the night and having drinks. And then the wake up and the, the guilt and the shame and the like, what a piece of crap you are because you can't even stick to this one freaking thing. Like how hard is it? Stop drinking. You know, it's like just that cycle over and over and over. I really just wore myself down to the lowest point that I've ever been ever. And I just like, I couldn't even, Oh, I'm getting emotional just talking about it, but it's okay. I couldn't even like look myself in the mirror. Mm. So uh, yeah, it's brutal. I have to say, I hope now from where you sit now that you do have compassion for yourself and what you were going through. I mean, first of all, moms during the pandemic, we were asked to do the impossible, but to be a teacher too, like you guys carried the weight of everything on your shoulders and what you were asked to do was impossible. And so when you're taught that alcohol is the answer and that it's not a problem and it's fine to escape and you need an escape and you need, especially during a fucking global pandemic when you're trying to hold up the world, I mean, and keep keep your family safe, keep everybody safe. Yeah, I hope you can have compassion for yourself that you were, you're just trying. You know, I do now, but it took such a long time to get to this point because like, if I think about how long I was like sober curious, I guess, you know, it was, it was as soon as my daughter was born and we just celebrated her eighth birthday. So for, you know, seven years, basically I was think I was out of alignment with like what I knew was right, what I knew I wanted for myself And it wasn't always like, you know, that brutal. There was lots of years when she was young that I just, there wasn't such a conflict within myself, but definitely in the couple of years where there was, I mean, I just, uh, I do have, I do have so much more compassion for myself now and for other people because I just felt so incredibly alone. I'm like, how can I have this family and this, this great husband and these beautiful children and And, you know, even my extended family, like my mom, how can I have all these humans around me that love me, but I feel so alone, Mm. you know, it's like the weird, it's, it just makes you feel so isolated, like nobody can understand. And I didn't know any sober people either. And so that was, it was really difficult for me to like, even have somebody that I felt like would even on any level understand what I was saying without judging me or like thinking something's wrong with me. Yes. And I think feeling misunderstood, just the fear of that, for sure will keep us silent. And then that just keeps us alone and lonely. Yeah. I also think like um, one of the reasons I probably stayed silent too is because just like my personality type, I've always just been like an achiever, like trying to prove my worth and prove that I'm enough. And Mm -hmm. I had reached all these milestones, you know, and like I I did the college and I got my master's degree and I got nationally board certified as a teacher and I'm a mom and, you know, I'm married and I have a house and I have all these things I've ever wished for. And I felt like, why is this the one thing? Like, look at all I've done. Why can't I do this? Why can't I do this? Why can't I get a handle on it? And Mm -hmm. it just made me feel like so shameful. And uh, yeah. Do you have the answer to that now? I think I'm starting to get the answer, which I will just believe that I was 
you know, tricked by good advertising in believing that alcohol was something that wasn't harmful. And that it's a highly addictive substance, right? Yeah. And the more you have it, the more you want it. And that has nothing to do with, I mean, your willpower is nothing to do with how lovable and valuable and how much you are enough. Like if you go up against a highly addictive substance, it will win. I mean, it just will. And and that's that's where I hate this AA stuff where it's like, no, it's a weakness in you if you get addicted. You're like, what? That was just fucking science. Right, totally. And I think also like I grew up um, in a home where my dad was a drug addict and he, there was domestic violence and he ended up going to prison for it. So I had a super good example of like how drugs can destroy your family. And that was never something I even tried. You know, I stayed away from it. I was very very afraid of that because I knew. And, but on the other hand, alcohol, you know, I didn't necessarily like see anybody that really struggled with it badly, but it was at every occasion that, you know, every family function. And I just never saw it as like something that I needed to be worried about. Right. We weren't taught that. And and growing up, you know, I grew up in the 80s and the 90s and, and we weren't, we weren't taught that. And it's like drugs and alcohol when they're when they're split like that, it's like, no, that's not necessary. We could just say drugs because alcohol, I was just reading a 2007 Lancet study about the top five addictive drugs and heroin's number one and alcohol's number two. Like ahead of cocaine, barbiturates, like all, like alcohol's number two. And sometimes depending on the study, it falls in different places, but this is Lancet, which is like a really reputable. And so I mean, ahead of nicotine, ahead, like we don't think of it as being so highly addictive. And it is. And when it starts to affect our lives and our mental health and our physical health, everyone's like, well, what's wrong with you that you didn't drink it in the right way? Yeah. It's like, we wouldn't say that about, we wouldn't say that about heroin. We wouldn't say that about cocaine. We wouldn't say, well, you're supposed to use it, but in an orderly fashion. Like, you're just doing it wrong. It's like, no. no. Be responsible. (laughs) Right. Drink responsibly. Like, it's on you to control this. And that's what that moderation piece is. And I, I understand, like, it's important to go through that because abstinence seems like a huge step and a huge jump. Mm -hmm. But then once you realize that it's just freedom, then it's like, oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. The moderation is just, oh, just torture. Like, I mean, the amount of rules that I set for myself so many times, like I'm not going to drink, I'm only going to drink on Saturday and then, okay, I'm on, I have a birthday coming up or something. So I'm only going to drink this day, but I'm not going to drink this day. And the, the hard part is that like, for me, it was, if I started on a Thursday, because there was something going on on the Thursday, there was pretty much no chance that I was taking like Friday, Saturday off. You know, it was like, if I started drinking on a Thursday, then that kind of started that cycle of like a few days of drinking. And then Monday, I'm back at ground zero feeling like total crap and hating myself and trying to basically like repair my mental and physical state all week to go right back into that cycle again. Like how crazy. Yeah. I can't believe how long I did that. (laughs) And once you're out of it, you're like, oh, wow, that's crazy. But I mean, most people live their entire lives in the cycle, just thinking that they just haven't cracked the code yet. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, what finally made you go from sober curious to being like, wait, I think that I there's a better way to do this. 
so it was kind of an accumulation of things, but during the pandemic, like I was big into like Rachel Hollis, Dave Hollis, and I followed a lot of their content and like started gratitude journal and exercise was huge for me. Like I, I have an incredible gym that I go to that's just women. And I met like one of my first sober people ever at the gym. And I just kind of believed that like certain people were put in my path for a reason. So once I started thinking like, you know, when you, you don't see it. And then when you're looking for it, like, you're like, Oh, that, that person is too, or she's been through what I've been through. So I, connection and community and exercise were big for me. Also, Annie Grace, was, I read that book, which I mean, I've read it two times. This Naked Mind. Yes. Game changer, right? Total game changer. If you're in the right frame of mind to receive that book, it will change everything. Absolutely. Everything you think about alcohol will change. Yeah, I read it one time and I think it was in 2021. And that was really when I, I was like, you know how she says like, oh, just, just have a drink, like keep drinking, but just be mindful about it. That was big for me. Cause I, I wasn't ready. I couldn't pull the trigger, but like, as I drank, I started to notice like, oh, how long does the buzz last? And, you know, oh, now I'm ready for another, like, I was so much more mindful about it. And then it just became like, I just very slowly over time just started to see it differently. It was almost like I was outside of myself, like watching myself drinking. And I'm like, what's the point here? Like, this is just, ugh. Yes, this is exactly why our Facebook group is also for sober curious moms. It's that sober curiosity and the stepping outside and being like, okay, I haven't ever thought about this before. Let me see how alcohol does affect me and what she's talking about. And let me see this at play. Yeah, totally. That was that was really big for me because after I read that, that whole next year, I was so much more mindful. And then I did a 75 hard challenge with my sister in January of 2022. I read the book again and, you know, there's no alcohol in that. And that was, I think the longest I went was like 82 days. And it was like, it just became so cl- crystal clear to me at that point that alcohol was the source of my issues. Like, I just remember like the first time I drank after that, like I remember being hesitant to start drinking again because I was like, I was hopeful, like this is my chance. Like I'm going to, I'm going to nail it. I'm going to get the sobriety thing down. And the challenge ended. And even though I felt great, it slowly crept back in. And I, I remember going to work the day after I had had drinks after this long period of not filled with anxiety, just fuming with like, can, can they, you know, can they tell I had drinks over the weekend? Like, are my eyes red? Do I look tired? Oh my gosh. It was like night and day where I never had that the whole time I wasn't drinking never even the thought in my mind. But then the weekend after, you know, on that Monday, I go back into work and I'm just, the voices are like out in full force. Oh, yes. That's why those times when you go back after a period of stopping are so they're filled with gold. It is gold. People like look at those as a failure. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is so invaluable what you can learn as long as your mind is open and you're willing to to receive it. It's like what you can learn when you go back to alcohol after stopping is huge. It's so huge. And I, yeah, it just became more clear to me over time. It was like the longer these stretches I would go, it was just you couldn't deny, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't make excuses anymore. It was like, this is 100% the issue. And I definitely need to remove it. And I also, during this kind of time of like, 
questioning my drinking, I had reunification with my biological family, which was oh wow, this big life thing for me. And I kind of gave myself some leniency and said, like, maybe right now in this moment is not the time to quit drinking. Like, I'm just going to be easy and gentle on myself. And I did. And but I realized like there was so much pain that came with all of that, that, it you know, I was drinking to like numb all that. And I remember thinking to myself, like, there are still hard things coming in life. Like, I have a dog that I've had forever. He's 13. He's my baby. I had him since before I had children. And I'm like, he's going to pass, you know, he's getting old. And then I'm like, my grandmother's going to pass. I keep thinking like, all of these things are coming. Am I just going to keep prolonging and life? And then life is unexpected. And you never know what kind of hard things are going to come your way. Like, how long am I going to push it out and say that, let me get through this hard thing? Or do I figure out a new way to handle my hard things? That actually works, right? Right. That's actually effective. Right. This idea that, I mean, I lost my dad and my dog of 18 years. Like I totally understand the dogs are family, right? And so that loss is just heartbreaking. And I was about a year sober. And and the idea of drinking through, like, of course, that was my first thought was like, how am I going to get through this without it. And then my second thought was, wow, how would I get through this if I was drinking? Because it would have made it so much harder. And it was would have prolonged. I always think about Annie Grace in This Naked Mind when she was like, you can't selectively numb, right? And you can't like, you can't numb the bad, but then still feel the good. And I still feel that in grieving my dad. It's like, I want to feel that love and I want to feel him close to me and and I want to feel all that. Like that would not be possible if I was drinking. I would numb the love and the hurt, right? And so... Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's one of the lines of hers that's always been like cemented in my head too because I think about, like you always talk about how the passage of time is hard for you and like that's for me too. Oh, it just, it kills me. And I, you know, watching our kids grow and stuff, I'm just thinking like... I cannot numb these really hard things without also simultaneously missing out on these really sweet gems of their childhood. And, you know, if I have to choose, I'm going to choose to just sit with those hard things and learn how to get through them. Yeah, because we can. We can. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, we can. And like, a feeling that I thought would break me, you know, like the grief of that. Like, I thought it would, if there was anything that's going to break me. It's that. And it didn't. That's kind of what I've learned through like finding my biological family too. That was something, my thoughts about that and my feelings around that were something that I had just literally shoved down into the depths of my soul, never to come out again. And I thought that finding information and facing possible rejection and just all these things, I thought I truly believed I was not capable of handling it. Although I was drinking when we first met, I've, you know, I'm eight months sober now and I'm like still processing it. It's such a big multi-layered thing, but I'm moving through it. I'm sure. Yeah. And I'm okay. (laughs) And I'm not having to drink to get through it. And I'm using my exercise and nature and all these, you know, tools that I've picked up along the way. And, and it just puts you in such a better place overall when you, you realize like I can be grieving the loss of time with my biological family, but I can also feel love and gratitude and I can be in this happy place too, both at the same time. And it won't break me. 
and I don't need alcohol to get through it. Like I want to feel it. Yes, you want to feel it. And once it's like a muscle, right? Once you start to feel things, you're like, oh, wait. Yeah, I want to feel stuff. This feels really good. I feel alive. I feel present. Like I can do it. I want to do it. Yes. Oh my God. So you're eight months sober? Yes. Eight months sober. (laughs) Congratulations. That's huge. Thank you. It is really huge. Uh, I've only dreamed of like getting to this point. So, you know, so many years of like just trying to make it a week or like dreaming to make it 30 days or so, you know, just knowing like at the end of this summer that I'll be at that year that I just thought that I could never make. I'm just feeling really grateful that how far I've come and that I just feel at peace with it. I'm not at war with myself anymore, you know? Yes. I love that. Yeah. Don't waste your sobriety being at war with yourself, right? And focusing on alcohol and like sobriety is so not about deprivation. And it sounds like you have just fully embraced that. And I love it. I have. Yes. (laughs) You could just tell. Well, thank you. Oh my God. And how do you feel? It's a lot, right? It's a, it's a lot. <laughs> I feel really good. I had my 38th birthday recently and, and I did have some time where I felt uh, like I just felt a little bit of like, why did I waste so much time, you know, struggling with this? I obviously like you wish that you could have figured it out sooner, but I'm trying to just not focus on that and just focus on like what's ahead and just knowing that like I'm setting the best possible example for my kids, even on my worst days and just yeah, just moving through it the best that I can. And knowing that I've had to like really accept that my quitting drinking might change some things. And that's okay, because I'm still going to do it. And I still know that it's what's best for me. I think like you always ask about our husbands and if they're still drinking. And I would say for me, like, that's something that I feel like kept me stuck for such a long time. Not necessarily that he kept me stuck. Like I've kind of learned, I did put a lot of blame on him for a long time and I've had to really kind of think about it in a different way and take accountability. But I thought, you know, I'm sharing, I'm telling him that this is a problem for me and I'm sharing with him how awful I'm feeling and why is he not wanting to help me stop, you know? And he just did not see our drinking as an issue like I did. And he didn't have that internal war going on inside of him. And I didn't always, I probably still don't do a good job of like showing him that mental struggle that I have. So of course, how would he know? And how would he know how to help me? Um, But I did, I do feel like I drank a lot longer than I think I would have had I been like a single person, right? Because when, when that's your habit and your routine with somebody and that's what you do. It's, it's really hard to break and he is still drinking. And for me, I had to just get to the point where like, and this was really, really, really hard for me, but I had to say like, it is a possibility that, you know, our marriage is going to run into trouble and it could potentially cause us to, you know, maybe lead to divorce at some point. I hope that it doesn't. And I believe that there's enough good there to keep us going. But I had to say that to myself out loud, like, yes, you quitting drinking could lead to this, but I'm still going to do it. Yeah. You know, and uh, that was really, really hard for me to come face to face with, like, who wants to think about that? That's really brave of you to share because I think that any, and and I'm generalizing, but any wife who 
stops drinking, it's so it's almost impossible not to consider how it will affect our marriage or our dating or our spouse or our partner. And it is so true that you have to put that to the side. And that's a really hard thing to do when, as women and wives and moms, we take care of everybody else before us all the time. I mean, we're just last on the list by design. Always, always. Yeah, that's just the default setting is to worry about everybody else. And in this one instance, you can't. You just cannot worry about that. And I that's way easier said than done because my husband still drinks. And it's still, it's an ongoing conversation. It's never going to be a one-time thing, like boundary set, never talking about, <laughs> about it again, keep moving, right? right. I'm going to be disappointed and we're going to have talks. And, I'm, you know, there's going to be all of this change because that's what it is and change is hard. But yeah, it's, you just can't consider your spouse when you're deciding to stop drinking. Yeah. And that's really hard. It's so hard. I definitely struggled with that for such a long time and also struggled with just like resentment towards him because I thought, and this is like while I was still drinking and I would try to quit, you know, try and try and try all these times. And why I would just think like, well, why aren't you trying? Like, why don't you recognize that this is a problem? Why don't you want to step up and like be a better parent? And I wasted a lot of time focusing on like him and his behaviors rather than just focusing inward on myself. Like, you know, yeah, it's hard when you're married, like you just assume like, oh, we're going to do everything together. Right. But Right. Yeah. Like you've said before about your husband, like, I mean, my husband does not like to be told what to do and he is not I mean, I tell him to do something and he's going to do the opposite. Like he just, that's just not who he is. And, and that's okay. I mean, he has so many amazing qualities. This is just one place in our marriage where we got to the point where I'm like, we're going different ways. And, and yeah, like you said, we're going to have to have ongoing conversations. We're still in the thick of it, trying to figure out like, what does this look like? And like, oh, that bothered me. But, you know, just like trying to keep communication open. <laughs> yeah, it takes a while to even figure out what bothers you. It's like, well, I don't want you to drink. Oh, well, what does that mean, right? So, <laughs> so I had to get like very specific. I'm like, I don't want you to drink more than two beers when you're, you know, and that doesn't mean he follows it every time either. Like that doesn't mean that there's not, the boundary isn't broken and then we don't have to come back together and I have to be like, that scared me or whatever. Like it's it's work, but I think without that, it is resent there builds up resentment. And and that's, I heard someone say like that when you have resentment, that's a clear sign that there needs to be a boundary. Yeah, I've heard that too. That's very good. Yeah. It's scary. Boundaries are scary because in them are kind of this idea of, am I going to be let down? And in that is the question of, am I enough? Like, am I enough that you're willing to to do this for me and for our relationship and to show me love and to, you know, respect me and all these things. Yeah, I think especially with drinking too, the fact that like we met drinking together and like, I kind of always come back to this like, well, he's the same, right? I'm the one that's changing. So like, is he gonna love me through these changes? Or am I boring now? Or am I, you know, like, and it's, yeah, I just hope that we can continue to like have conversations and see, you know, even when we're not seeing eye to eye, just like try to understand each other. That's my hope. Um, I hope so too. You know, in the future, as these things come up, it's hard to navigate for sure. It is. It is hard to navigate. It takes a lot of communication. And that's that's where it all starts. Yep. Oh my gosh. Well, 
I just love your story. I think it's so relatable. I'm telling you these stories where that's not this rock bottom, clear cut thing where you lost everything. These are the most relatable and I think the most helpful stories to share. And I can't thank you enough. They really are because I have benefited from them so much. I mean, this is my meetings and my therapy and in the car, listening to the podcast, listening to the other women's stories has it has given me that peace of like, I'm not alone. And when after feeling alone for so long, that was just like really life changing for me to know that there were so many women out there and that I could listen to their stories. So thank you for everything that you put out and all your positive energy. Oh my God. Well, thank you. You're not alone and you are a bright light. And I'm just so glad that you shared your story. So thank you. Thank you so much, Suzanne. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Sober Mom Life. If you loved it, please rate and review it wherever you listen. Five stars is amazing. Also, follow me on Instagram at The Sober Mom Life. Okay, I'll see you next week. I'm going to go reheat my coffee. Bye. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how how-tos for navigating all the things sober, from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories, and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.